Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks and praise for the certainty of the truths of Christmas. And as we hear you speak through the Bible this evening, would you please help us to listen and find out about the royal one, even Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, this is a bit of a change than 10 years ago. I was just reminding myself as I was coming out here and if you were uh, new to this place, about 10 years ago I was here uh, in my first year as rector in this place. It was around about minus 12, uh, if you remember 2010. And uh, around about that time we realised just the back of the church, just back there the pipes had burst. And so all of us, you and I, I was wearing everything a clergyman could wear, uh, and we were shaking and shivering. And I really thought somebody's lips were going to stuck to the chalice. Uh, it was that cool. But tonight, it's warm, it's welcoming, and it's great that you're here. Thank you for coming, and hopefully you're blessed through what God has to say to you. Well, uh, I wonder if you know what this book is. It's the who's who, the, the great and the good of those who influence British life. The lords and the ladies, the rich and powerful, but uh, this book started off in 1849. And as far as I'm aware, none of you are in this book. If you are, come and speak to me afterwards. And I can say that personally, it may surprise you about this, I don't even have an entrance in that book. It's a book to show who are the movers, who are the shakers, who are the important people. And this evening, it'd be really encouraging for me if you could get your Bibles open to page 724 and Luke chapter 2, because what we're going to look is, is, is Luke's who's who as he speaks to this guy, Theophilus, uh, in the Greek, a, a lover of God. And he speaks to us. And in his gospel, we've been traveling through Luke's gospel through uh, the last few weeks, but we've seen what has happened in Jerusalem and then Nazareth. And then we go to the hill country of Judea and we widen the lands to see a who's who of this writer, Luke's world. And what we need to see tonight is that Luke isn't just giving us facts. He wants to challenge us. He wants to shake us to see who it is that really matters. Because we're all influenced if we think somebody's important, aren't we? We certainly change our tune, how we speak to them and how we deal with them. In our own family, we may not give them the proper respect that's due to them. We kind of sometimes take them for granted, don't we, if the truth be told. But then all of a sudden, a visitor comes to the house, ding dong, oh, hello. We, we, you know, we change tune very, very quickly. And it all matters how you think of the person. So Luke wants to challenge, who is it that really matters? Who is worthy of your and my attention? So let's get into the Bible. Let's look at Luke chapter 2, and let's read from verse 1. Right the way through our reading together, just to, just to get a flavor of it again. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. 
and she gave birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped them in cloths and placed them in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Luke begins as who's who, if you like, right at the very top. Who's who in all the world? Who's who in all the world? Well, it's this guy, Octavian, or if you like to give him his proper title, Caesar Augustus. And he issues a decree that a census, for taxation purposes, it's always for taxation purposes, a census, to see who's in your house, to see what age they are, because if they're over 18 and working, they've got to be paying taxes. Well, he says he wants to take this census of the entire Roman world. And of course, as far as the Bible's concerned, the whole Roman world, the whole Roman Empire is the whole known world. And we have a fragment of a document called the Marian Inscription. It's a first century document, and it writes... Divine Augustus Caesar, son of a god, commander of land and sea, the benefactor and saviour of the whole world. And so we can see that how people thought about him, that when Caesar Augustus said jump, the whole Roman Empire is supposed to respond, how high? And now Caesar Augustus, Octavian, has told the Roman Empire he wants everyone to go back to their hometown to register. So that's what must happen. So who's who in all the world? It's Caesar Augustus, isn't it? Then who's who in Syria? Well, we look right here. He says, this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. It doesn't say it was the first census in Caesar's Augustus rule. It just says it's the first census while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So we start coming down. First we've got the whole Roman Empire. Now we've just a tiny little bit of it, Syria. And who matters in Syria? Well, it's the governor, isn't it? Quirinius. Who's this Roman noble. And he's the one who will have to make sure what, a, what Augustus Syria, Caesar Augustus, should I say, what he has asked for will happen on the ground. But who's who in Syria? Well, it's Quirinius. Next, who's who in Bethlehem? City of David. Let's look at verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So Caesar Augustus, Quirinius, now Luke brings our attention to Joseph. Notice he's not a governor. He's not a Caesar. He's not a powerful man at all. But what's important is where he's headed. That's what's important. To the city or the town of David, to Bethlehem. And that's how it's written in Greek. We get it here in the NIV, to to Bethlehem, to the town of David. It's actually the opposite way around in the Greek. Because what matters about Bethlehem is that it's the city of David. The great king of Israel's history. And then to underline the point, Luke tells us that Joseph belonged to the house and line of David. So if we read this gospel and our only concern is worldly power, 
And there's not a lot to say about Joseph. But if we realize what matters more is what God says than what Luke tells us about Joseph, this journey should raise an eyebrow. It should start ringing bells for us. We in the church have been looking through the through Luke's gospel, the promises that that are given to uh, Zachariah and to Elizabeth and to Mary and to Joseph, that this one promised of God, this king coming, would be in the line of King David. Because King David, back in 2 Samuel 7, was promised, Nathan the prophet says to David, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. That was many years ago. But still the promise still goes on. And Luke is showing us that Joseph is in the line of David. He's heading to the town of David. And therefore, this child that will be born will be his legal child. So in the line of King David. But actually, the Old Testament develops that promise given to David by Nathan further in Micah chapter 5. It's a familiar carol reading. We read, but you, Bethlehem Ephrath, though you're small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will rule over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Luke writes these words knowing that many of his readers will be aware of these promises. So he highlights Joseph in the line of David going to Bethlehem, which is where the birth of the Messiah will take place. And at long last, all the pieces are starting to fall into place. Could this be God's king? And then, who's who in no place? First we had all the world, then we had Syria, then we had Bethlehem, and now in Bethlehem, verse 7, there was no guest room available for them, no place for them. Such an inauspicious start to a life, start a, such a poor start to a human life. That 99.9999999999% of the people utterly oblivious to what's happening. But Luke points a few things out here. He says in verse 6, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. The time came. If you've got your Bible, you can flick back to Luke chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 57. That's how John's birth is announced. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. But another way of saying the time came is, is actually in the Greek, it says the time is fulfilled. Luke is saying, that think, there's more to this than you think. This is the fulfillment of all the promises of God in the Old Testament. Here are the plans of God coming to fulfillment in this no place. And in particular, it was time for Mary's firstborn. We all know it's her firstborn. Because Luke has painfully been describing that Mary is going to give birth as a virgin. And as far as that blows my mind in the biology class, well, if you have a baby before that, then you're not a virgin, are you? So why does Luke have to emphasize that this is the firstborn? Why does he say it all over again? Well, firstborn speaks of inheritance. The heir. And so we're meant to ask, well, what is the inheritance of this baby? Again, the Old Testament tells us, this is what the king will inherit. Psalm 89, verse 27. And I will appoint him to be my firstborn. 
the most exalted of the kings of the earth, higher than Quirinius, higher than Caesar Augustus, higher even than Donald Trump. None of them, in the end, has anything on this baby. Look, it's saying that this baby born in Bethlehem will inherit the lot all the nations, the ends of the earth. You and me will be this baby's possession. We will stand before him. And then in verse 7, he writes, And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. So no place. And then the indignity of being squashed with all the animals. It's hardly what you call palatial. You read this and you think, how can this be right for God's king, this king of the universe, this one who will inherit all of everything? This can't be right. But Luke is telling us that that's exactly where this king will be born because he's telling us what type of king this will be. Now these, of course, are humble beginnings, but... There's more to this than you first thought. I've been preaching on these passages for the last 18 years, and I saw something that I'd never seen before. If you look down in the Bible, if you've got it in front of you, you read there in in, in verse 7 that she placed them in cloths and placed them in a manger. And then in verse 12, the, 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 the shepherds are told by an angel, this will be a sign to you, you'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Then in verse 16, they hurry off and find Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Why this three repeats of manger and two repeats of a cloth? Luke uses his words very carefully, so this is not mistaken. This is not him having old age and doting and repeating himself. I think Luke is repeating this for a purpose. Because towards the end of his gospel, after the crucifixion, keep a finger in Luke chapter 2 and come with me to Luke 23. And as you do that, I want to ask you, what type of manger, what was it made of? What was the manger made of? What's the manger that you all look at? What are they all made of? Wood. See the left-hand side of that picture? That's a first-century manger. It's made of stone. That's why she wrapped them in cloths. Place the manger. It was a stone manger. Now, don't go around all the nativity scenes flipping it out and going, that's rubbish, that's not right. Let it go. You know what's right, okay? It's a stone manger. Now, listen to what Luke says. Luke chapter 23, we're going to read from verse 15. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action, as putting Jesus to death, that is. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for his Jesus body. He took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut into the rock. Cloth and stone. And here as this baby is born, we're being shown why he has been born. 
as we read this, we're supposed to see that Jesus has been wrapped in cloths before as a baby. Now he is wrapped in cloths at the end of his life and his death and laid in stone. And it's all underlying for us that as we read through the whole of Luke, if Jesus is such a king, well, then why did he, as we remember in our Holy Communion, why did he have to die in such humiliation and shame? Luke is telling us, remember the beginning. This was the plan all along. This is why Jesus came into the world, to die for the world. I want to close the same. It might seem a little bit strange that I want to close from a, from, from a children's Bible. Actually, if you have grandchildren that are seven and younger, can I say, get your hands on this. This is one of the best children's Bibles I've ever read. It's called the Big Picture Storybook. And what's great about it is it just breaks down the story so faithfully. And David Helm, he writes, he says, so Caesar, the Roman ruler, the king of the whole Roman world, began counting all his people to show everyone how great he was. What Caesar did not know was that God, the world's true ruler, the king of the universe, was getting ready to show everyone how great he was. God was going to end his many years of silence. God was going to keep his promise of a forever king. And do you know how God was going to do this? Not like Caesar. Not proudly by counting all his people, but humbly by becoming one of his people. In the power of his spirit, God would bring his forever king into the world as a baby. And that's exactly it, isn't it? Humble beginnings that will become even more humiliating as he dies on the cross for me and for you. And if we're listening to Luke, we'll see this is the one. Here he is in the line of King David. As he comes in the world, he's fulfilling all of God's promises. He will head to the cross and die on the cross for the sins of all those who put their trust in him. And as we look back in history, we'll see that Caesar Augustus died. Quirinius died. But Jesus' death wasn't the end. He rose again on the third day. He inherited and will inherit all that is his because he rose to rule. And he will rule over all the people, willingly or unwillingly, forever. And now Jesus is the highest, is highest of the kings of all the earth. And the wonderful thing of the good news of Christmas is we can know him. We can know him. We can know this king. This humble king who came in flesh and blood. And as I close, I want to ask you very, very simply. Have you come and bowed before this king? Could it be that he came to rescue us and bring us good news of great joy for, for all people? That you will know that every day for the rest of your life,
and into that perfect peace of eternity. What I want to say tonight is not to do a hard sell. I want you to do one of two things. I want you either to be like the, the shepherds and go and check this out. Go and see if Luke is telling us a pile of fibs or not. He's made a careful ex, uh, 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 study of it. Or be like Mary and ponder these things in your heart. If Jesus is who he says he is, this is the greatest news. This is the most fantastic news anybody could ever hear. The first step might be to read one of the biographies of Jesus, the Gospels. And we have copies of Mark over that table. I'll not be looking. Just take one of them, stick it in your pocket, take it away. Or you may want to come back next year to come to church or, or to join into our Christian Explorer course, which will be happening at the end of, of, of January. We'll give you an opportunity to bring all your questions, to wrestle with the text, to see if it's true. But I hope as we head now in the, the last 20 minutes of uh, before Christmas 2019, I pray that you have a great Christmas. But more than that, I pray that you find in Jesus what the angel promised. The greatest news you ever heard. Can I wish from our family to yours, happy Christmas to you all. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you. You did not come proudly, but humbly. You became one of us. You served us. You taught us. You showed us. And then you did the greatest humble act of all. You died for us and rose again to show us that there is life forevermore. We pray that this Christmas we would know that royal one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we don't, we'd be like the wise men or the, the shepherds that go and check out who Jesus is. Father, help us not to use this time and to waste it, but to seek Jesus and to understand who he is. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.